Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We just pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. God, I come in here every Sunday with my own struggles and um, things I'm worried about and feeling tired and other struggles, just like everybody in this room. Uh, One of those happens to be readily observable today, but it's really no different than any other week. So I just pray, as I always do, Lord, that you would uh, speak through me, speak in spite of me, and let us hear your word and your truth. And would you transform us during this time? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I took driver's ed um, about 23 years ago. And, uh, wow, I sound old. <laughs> um, and just like today, there was like a classroom component and a uh, driving component. And I remember there were a couple of teachers I had in the driving component that gave me completely polar opposite experiences. Uh, one of them, this woman uh, who was an instructor, she led me through kind of uh, suburban North Dallas where I grew up. And um, I remember driving through neighborhoods and intersections, school zones, getting heckled by other drivers. It was great. And uh, the car was designed where she had a brake. You know, she could slam on the brake if she needed to. I don't remember her name. I do remember she had a very prominent mullet, which was in my peripheral vision the entire time. It was very distracting. Um, (laughs) She was very nice, though. Um, And she was hyper-focused on every detail. I mean, I remember her being like, "Uh, you're a little to the left, get in the middle of the lane. Oh, you're drifting. I mean, she wanted me to be just dead center in the lane. You know, you're a little too fast, a little too slow. You might want to leave your blinker on for like another second. I mean, she was very detail-oriented, very focused, in control of everything. Uh, At one point, she thought I didn't see a car coming, which I did for the record, but she slammed on the brake in the middle of a huge intersection. I was like, I have no idea what to do. What do I do? And, uh, but she was just reminded me in that moment, like she is in control. And uh, so, so she was just very attentive to every single detail. The other instructor I had could not have been more different. He was this young guy. Is there, are we about to get? Okay, Amber Alert. All right, I was like, are we going to add a tornado on top of this? And we couldn't get our sound system to work this morning. It was crazy. So a tornado would make sense. Um, so I had the second instructor, like I said, couldn't be any more different than the first one. This is a young guy, and uh, <laughs> I showed up for my uh, driving training, and it was me and one other student. We sat down, and he goes, all right, guys, here's the deal. And he points at me, and he goes, you, you're going to get in the car, and you're going to get on 35, and you're going to drive till you get to Oklahoma. And when you get to the border of Oklahoma, you're going to pull over, you guys are going to switch, and you're going to drive right back here to Louisville. I said, Okay. So I start driving. He falls asleep in like 18 seconds. I'm not, I mean, he was getting paid to nap. And um, so I drive to Oklahoma. I pull over and he goes, all right, you guys switch and um, pull over to that gas station. I want to get a hot dog. Dude buys a hot dog, eats it next to me, falls asleep again. And we drove all the way back to Louisville. So totally different. You know, first experience, I'm complete, or the, the teacher's in complete control. Um, in this case, the students were in complete control. The guy's not even conscious for most of it. So two very different experiences, a hyper-involved instructor and a barely-involved instructor. And uh, as I was thinking about this message, I, 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 I think that this experience I had is a very helpful analogy 
for a common source of confusion and struggle in our spiritual lives. Uh, and it has to do with the question of how much control do we have in our spiritual lives and how much does God have? You know, is God the great micromanager in the sky, hyper-involved in every single detail of our lives, highlighting every path we're supposed to take, slamming the brakes on every path we're not supposed to take, and we're just kind of along for the ride? Is that the picture? Or is God just kind of in the background and just leaves most of it to us? Um, My suspicion is that most of us, without realizing it probably, uh, default one way or the other. We, we tend to think of God in one of these extremes. He's either hyper-involved or sort of barely involved and just kind of there. Um, but the problem with that is the biblical view is not either of those clear-cut extremes. In fact, Scripture describes this very beautiful and mysterious combination of our free will and God's sovereign authority over the universe and over history and our lives. Um, so these are two concepts we're going to keep coming back to today. So I want to just put them up here on the screen so we can kind of be on the same page. So the first is free will. God's given us free will. A definition of that might be this. Uh, the God-given capacity to make free, conscious choices in our lives, even on the subject of whether to embrace or reject God. He's given us free will even to that extent. So we have free will. The other side of the coin is God's sovereignty. Um, His sovereignty is his absolute and eternal reign over history and the universe. These are both biblical concepts, our free will and God's sovereignty. But this has been a topic that theologians for centuries have grappled with. How how do these two things relate? If, If God truly is sovereign, how can I actually have free will in my life? Like, can free will really be free if God truly is sovereign? Um, But we see in the Bible that it isn't this clear-cut either-or issue. It's sort of a both-and. God's sovereignty and our free will operate in concert with each other. Now, some of you love this stuff. You're like theological, philosophical stuff. This is like your jam. You're like, I came on the right Sunday. This This is great. Uh, some of you, though, not so much. You're like, okay, these are concepts. Why does this matter? Does this really affect my life? Uh, let me assure you, it absolutely does. Uh, in fact, this might be one of the most practical, relevant topics for you to spend your time thinking about because you've probably asked yourself this question of your free will versus God's sovereignty many times, just not in those words. If you've ever felt fearful or insecure about your standing with God or maybe struggled with guilt over your sins or you felt complacent in your faith or kind of apathetic about your faith or you've experienced suffering and wondered what is God doing here. If you felt any of those things, the question of your free will and God's sovereignty is in the background of all of those kinds of questions and many others. Um, And so if we don't understand how these things interact, our free will and God's sovereignty, um, our view of God and our view of ourselves can become warped and will cause us stress and confusion and we will not experience the joy and the hope that we are meant to because of Christ. We'll find ourselves bearing burdens that we cannot bear and we were not meant to bear 
and we'll find ourselves resentful of God if we don't think about this. And so it's critical. It's our critical question. So the question that we're going to explore today is this. Who's in control of my spiritual life, me or God? Who's in control? We're going to start in Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, open to Ephesians 1. Um, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, it's in the New Testament. It's after Galatians, before Philippians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to look at a hard copy, we have some on the table. Uh, also, if you don't own a Bible, we'd be happy for you to take that one home with you. Um, we like to dive into Scripture and highlight things, take notes, so we've got some highlighters and pens and note cards. Feel free to use those, though, as always, we will have the Scripture on the screens, uh, so feel free to follow along in that way. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, so we're going to go through a few short passages that deal with this issue of our free will and God's sovereignty. And so to make sure that we're following along, uh, I'm going to commit to a color code for this morning. Some of y'all are like, yes, I love color codes. Um, the color code is, is going to be this. As we go through these passages, the things I highlight in yellow are going to be words that emphasize God's sovereignty. The words I highlight in blue are going to be words that emphasize our free will. Um, and so we're going to go through these passages together and, and see how this plays out. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus in the first century, and the, he launches almost immediately in verse 3 into this extended section of just praising God for all the blessings that have come our way because of Jesus. It's, it's this really rich, beautiful passage. In fact, uh, verses 3 all the way through 14 are one sentence in Paul's original Greek. He's just going. He's just in the zone, just flowing about how amazing God is. And so we're going to read a couple of portions of that because he deals with this issue of our free will and God's sovereignty. So let's get into it. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So let's stop there for a moment. Uh, Again, the color code, um, yellow, God's sovereignty. So in in these verses we just read, um, when it comes to our salvation, this is what it's talking about. The accent is very much on God's sovereignty. Um, him choosing us to be saved instead of us choosing faith in him. And look at the words used. Let's highlight them in yellow here. He chose us before the creation of the world. He predestined us to become a part of God's family. This is part of his will, it says. These are all terms that have to do with God's sovereign reign over history. We are predestined to faith, it says. That word means uh, God knew beforehand. He could see it beforehand. Um, who, uh, basically, who would one day put their faith in Christ and respond in that way. Um, so God sees all of history at once, and we're kind of getting a glimpse of this here. Uh, he knew ahead of time who would respond and, and end up being saved. So the emphasis here is on God, right? Chose, predestined, it's his will. 
Um, it's all about him taking the initiative. It's about God taking the first step in our relationship. So where do we come in, right? Our free will decision of faith in Christ. Because if you just read these verses, you could be like, what, is God just playing favorites here? He just picks people to be saved and end of story. doesn't seem very fair. That's not the whole picture. So let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 11. Um, Paul kind of comes back to this same thing. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So we see again those same three words, the, the sovereignty words. We were chosen, predestined, it's God's will. This is the language of God's initiating activity, right? Pursuing us in a relationship. But now we see some new phrases that begin to bring our free will into view. What we do to reciprocate what God has already done for us, God's effort to bring us into relationship with him. So it says, we put our hope in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, when you believed, this is all language of our free will, our choices to respond to God and what he's done. And if we embrace this picture of what we're seeing in Ephesians 1, God's sovereignty and our free will, it is absolutely a paradigm shift in our life of faith. And I hope it expands your view of God's grace and his love for you. Because you know what this is telling us? The story is that your free will, faith in Christ, was not the beginning of the story. It was not the beginning of your relationship with God. It was a response to God's mission to rescue you, which was planned and successfully carried out long before you came into in existence. So the big question of Ephesians 1 is like, are we saved by our free will or by predestination? Yes. That's the answer. Ephesians holds up both realities. We are saved by our free will, faith in Christ, but that decision is part of God's eternal sovereign plan, which he set out beforehand. Did you notice? Before the creation of the universe. He knew who you are. Now, admittedly, it is hard to understand both of those at the same time, which is why, if you know anything about church history, many church traditions and denominations have tended to lean toward one side or the other. Um, Some traditions really place the accent on God's sovereignty and how the church is full of people God chose to be saved. Um, Not that faith isn't part of it, but it's mainly about God and his sovereignty. And so uh, churches in the Reformed tradition, Presbyterian church, churches in that tradition tend to go that way. Um, I attended a church like that for a few years in grad school, and it was a very, it was a wonderful church. And but it it, it was a little different than uh, my background had been. When you attend a church like that, the discussion of salvation is primarily about God has chosen you, His Holy Spirit has drawn you to Himself. And in those churches, uh, it's it's uh, not uncommon for infant baptism to be practiced because the view of what's happening there. Uh, is not, you know, this is about an infant believing in God. Obviously, they can't. It's about God's sovereign choice to fold this child into his church family even before they're able 
to have that free will faith. So that's, that's a reflection of their theology of emphasizing God's sovereignty. Other traditions emphasize the free will side of thing, things. Um, Baptist churches, I think, are one. Methodist, anything in the Wesleyan tradition. Uh, high emphasis on evangelism. A baptism after faith in Christ. Um, not that they would say God isn't sovereign, but the accent is on the uh, uh, free, uh, free will. Um, but here we see in Ephesians that for Paul, there was no contradiction. He moved effortlessly between God's sovereignty and our free will. The two go hand in hand. Our free will does not erode God's sovereignty, and God's sovereignty does not make our free will not really free. Both are true, even if we don't perfectly understand how it works. One more example, a short example um, on this from Paul. Um, It's actually in the book of Acts. You don't need to turn there. Um, But just one more example. Uh, As often happened with Paul when he would uh, go to bring the message of Christ to a city for the first time, uh, he didn't get a great response. And in this case, the Jewish community was like, no, we don't, we don't like you. We don't like your message. They were rejecting him. And so then Paul responds to their rejection. And, and he says this, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. (laughs) I mean, think about that last statement. That's God's sovereignty and our free will right next to each other. All who were appointed, that's selected, separated out. That's a statement of God's sovereignty made the choice to believe. It's free will and God's sovereignty. Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, had no trouble putting God's sovereignty and our free will within the same five-word clause. So we're beginning to see, uh, oh, also I want to point out in verse 46 on the free will side, there it is again that God gives us free will even to the extent that we can reject him. That's how far, how much latitude he's given us. So we're beginning to see this theme, the coexistence of two seemingly contradictory ideas. God is in absolute control, and we have free will. Now, I think that will always be a mystery to some extent because we don't have God's mind. There are certain things that uh, he teaches us and shows us that we can trust are true, but uh, we have to truly trust in the sense that our trust isn't drawn from a perfect understanding. Um, But I think a key to understanding this mystery, or at least being okay with it being a mystery, is uh, the role of the Holy Spirit. Because Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit calls us to faith, cultivates our hearts in such a way that they are fertile soil to hear the message of the gospel and freely respond. That's kind of the picture. Uh, probably most concisely, I think Paul said it in 1 Corinthians twelve three. Paul put it this way. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There it is again. God's sovereignty and our free will right next to each other. Jesus is Lord. That's a free will expression of saying he's Lord of my life. But the Holy Spirit is involved in that. 
to come to a place of faith in Christ, to call him Lord, is our free will choice. But God has been pursuing us, and the Holy Spirit has been working on us. Uh, I want to turn to one other place in Scripture, just a few more verses, and then we're going to talk about what this means for our life. Turn to Romans 8, 28. Um, it's a few books to the left, if you've if you got your Bible open already. Romans eight twenty eight. We're going to look at three verses here. And I think in these verses, so much comes together about God's role, our role, and really God's ultimate purpose and plan for our lives. Um, So we're going to kind of pick apart these three verses. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 28. Oh, by the way, before we read this, um, the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in these three verses. But as we just read, you know, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, the whole, almost the whole chapter of Romans 8 is about the Spirit and his role in our lives. So that's the backdrop of these verses is the Spirit's work. So let's read it. Paul wrote this. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So there's some words there we've seen, right? God's sovereignty words. We've been called, God foreknew, and he predestined. There's God's sovereignty, his work. God knew ahead of time who eventually would believe in him through Christ. And he has called those who would do so. And in verse 30, this amazing four-step plan of God's spiritual transformation, what he wants to do in our lives. So stick with me, just this last little bit here. This is an amazing progression, these four things that God does. It says he predestined, He called, he justified, and he glorified. Predestined. God saw in the future who was going to respond to him. And then he calls, he draws those to himself by his Holy Spirit. And then he justifies us. We've talked about this word recently. It means to be declared innocent of our sins. It's courtroom language. You're not guilty. That's our salvation. So he knows predestined. He's called those who are going to respond in faith. He's declared them innocent of their sins and as a result, glorified. That means made new, made a child of God, looking forward to glory, eternal life. This is all God's sovereign work, his plan. But where's our free will in there? It is in there, and it's embedded in the word justified. So I would Uh, Sticking to our color code, I would draw a box or underline in blue uh, the word justified because um, in Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament, to be declared innocent of our sins, to be justified, we have to place our faith in Christ. So that it's kind of hidden in there that if God's going to have justified us, it's because we've placed our faith in him. So that's how we fit into that plan is our faith in Christ. God declares us as innocent as we place our faith in him as a response to what he's already done. 
But we also learn these verses, God's purpose for all of this, for our lives, our transformation. He says, God works everything for the good of those who love him. And, and when it says that, God works everything in our lives, everything, that means everything, good things and bad things, suffering even, is work for our good. And it's not our definition of good. He defines good. The good is that we are conformed to the image of Christ. God works everything in our lives, good and bad, as we trust in him to mold us into Christ's image. That is God's eternal plan. The sovereign Lord seeks us, knowing ahead of time if we're going to reciprocate his love, and he draws us to himself. And as we take these free will, trusting steps of faith toward him, he transforms us to look more and more like Jesus. What a plan. So who's in control of my spiritual life? That was the question that we started out with, me or God. Uh, The answer is, from a biblical standpoint, our spiritual lives are rooted in both God's sovereignty and our free will choices. Both are true. God is sovereign, and he has given us free will. It's not an either-or situation. Um, A sovereign, all-knowing, future-seeing God gave us free will. But why does this matter for us to know this, this concept? I mentioned this earlier. It's a question behind a lot of our questions. Because I think a wrong answer to this question or no answer to this question leads us to confusion and frustration, cynicism, grief. Let's think about it for a second. If we, if we overemphasize one or the other, you know, if, if we're just all, if we think of our faith all about our free will or God's sovereignty, if our free will is our focus and we forget about God's sovereignty, it can leave us feeling fearful and guilty. That becomes the experience of our faith. We th- because we think it's all up to us, right? It's on, it's on us to, to uh, make ourselves worthy of God or acceptable to God. Uh, it's totally on us to grow or to help others grow. How do we make decisions? What if I pick the wrong path? <laughs> you know, am, am I out with God if I mess this up? What if I miss what he has for me? These kinds of anxieties come from an overemphasis on, God, on our free will. God is the one who calls us. We forget this. He is the one who justifies us. He is the one who transforms us. But if we forget that and we just live in free will land, we end up imagining God with this perpetual scowl on his face, disapproving, sitting there waiting to see how we're going to do. And so our life of faith becomes a life of fear. Our faith becomes very moralistic, very legalistic, got to check all the boxes, I've got to turn all the dials, get everything right, or God's love for me or my standing with him is in jeopardy. Grace is nowhere. We can't imagine God as a loving father. We live in fear if we're good enough, whether we measure up, we're devastated with guilt over our sins because we, in, in our own power, have now distanced ourselves from God because it's totally up to us. God must be so disappointed in me, we think. Have you ever felt any of those things? These are burdens we cannot bear and we're not meant to bear. If, on the other hand, we live in sovereignty focus, 
it can leave us feeling complacent and helpless. Why do I need to take steps to grow? God's in control. Why do I need to share my faith with others? I mean, God, he's decided who's going to be saved. He's going to take care of it. Why should I care about the poor? Why should I run six kilometers for these kids who have, you know, don't have clean water? God's going to take care of them, right? It's a tragic complacency. Because we forget we do have free will that we can use to be his church and serve. If God's so sovereign, you know, why am I going through this pain? Um, if, If you think of God as being entirely uh, just micromanaging every single thing in your life and that there isn't room for just a sinful world that we live in and our own free will, then God becomes the author of all your pain. And that is not a scriptural view. We're not meant to feel this way. We're not meant to be crushed by the burden of our free will, and we're not meant to be drifting into apathy, thinking God's just in control and maybe I don't like his decisions. It's not how we're meant to feel. So if we understand God's sovereignty and our free will and how they interact, we can find hope. We can find our way back to the picture we find in the life of Christ and in Scripture. God draws us to himself And as we take those trusting steps of faith towards him, he saves us, he grows us, and he works all things, even suffering, to make us look more like Jesus. Understanding this will change your life. One immediate way you'll see the changes in your prayer life because your prayers are no longer just desperate pleas to God to pay attention to you and help you because you think you're totally on your own and you just need his help. On the other hand, your prayers are no longer just resignation to God's total control as if you can't do anything to change your situation. You're just hoping for a miracle. Your prayers then become, if you get this biblical concept, they can become requests for guidance and encouragement as you make choices while you simultaneously express that in the background, God is always in control and sovereign even when you make choices. And that is a comforting thing. And by the way, that little mix I just described is exactly what you see in the Psalms over and over and over. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I got to make this choice. I'm struggling in this area. You are good. You are sovereign. I trust your plan. I know some of this is a little bit conceptual, philosophical. Uh, So I want to just conclude with a, a story that I think paints a really beautiful picture of what we've been talking about. It's a story of uh, Jesus walking on water, Peter stepping out of the boat to walk over to him. Uh, It's a pretty well-known story. The disciples are in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. It's dark. Um, There's wind and waves, and they see this shadowy figure out on the water walking toward them. That's a scary thing. In fact, it says they were scared. Like, are y'all seeing this? What is happening? Um, it was it was really scary. Um, and so Peter cries out, if it's you, Lord. And think about that. He doesn't even know for sure yet. It's Jesus. If it's you, 
Tell me to come out there and I will. And Jesus says, come here to me. Come on. And Peter takes these steps, probably the most trusting steps he's ever taken in his life toward Jesus. And he begins to walk on water. And his fear begins to overtake him and he starts to sink and he cries out for help and Jesus rescues him. I think in this story we see God's sovereignty and our free will acted out, not in concept, but in reality. Because you see Jesus exercising sovereign control over the very laws of nature. And Peter, whose heart is seeking Jesus, expresses his desire to be with him. Jesus, knowing before the creation of the world that Peter would feel that way, calls him and invites him to come near. And as Peter takes his free will, trusting steps toward Jesus, Jesus supernaturally enables him to take those steps, to walk on the waves. And even when Peter stumbles because his free will faith falters, does Jesus abandon him? No. He reaches down and rescues him. I think it's a powerful picture of how God's sovereignty and our free will, faith, interact. And I think there's great hope and joy to be found in that understanding. And I would encourage you to remember this topic. Just kind of file it away in the back of your mind. And when you start to think things about God or yourself, about insecurity or fear, or you might need to return and remember that this question might be in the background. You know, am I living in just total free, free will world right now? Have I forgotten God's sovereignty? Or have I forgotten my free will and I've just, I'm on autopilot here? It's just something to keep in mind. I think it's the root of a lot of our struggles. Now, I just want to wrap up and say this. You know, I don't know where each of you are uh, when you came in here today, what you're struggling with, or where you feel you stand with God. Um, there may be some of you who aren't sure you believe in God, or maybe you used to and you don't anymore. Um, or you just wrestle with deep questions and issues. And maybe even though you're not sure if God's real, you feel this uh, unexplainable uh, draw toward him. You, you, you just feel inexplicably uh, compelled to walk toward him. That the message of Jesus resonates in your heart in some way. Um, if, if that's you, if you feel that way, if you've never come to a place of faith in Jesus, but you feel that stuff, what I would tell you is this is the Holy Spirit drawing you in. This is God's sovereign plan at work speaking to your heart and drawing you near. This is what he does. And so I would encourage you, if that's where you are, to seek that out and to pray um, and ask the Lord to, like Peter did, if it's you, call to me and I'll come. I would encourage you to do that. Some of you, though, uh, you've been, maybe you've been Christians for years or you've been in and out of church for your whole life, um, but you've drifted away from the Lord for one reason or another. Um, you feel distant from him. 
Maybe you feel like you don't hear him, you don't understand him, or feel like he doesn't understand you. It could be that you're thinking too much in terms of free will. You know, God is just asleep next to you, and he's just left you to fend for yourself. That's not true, but there are circumstances in life that can make us feel that way. Just like in Psalm 23, it it says the Lord is my shepherd and that he walks with us through the valley, the dark valley. It's not saying there won't be dark valleys. It's saying when they come, he's there. And so if you've drifted away because you've put too much burden on yourself to be everything you think God wants you to be, I want you to know that God is, is there, he loves you, and he is calling you to himself. He's calling you back home. Or maybe you've been in a kind of apathetic place and just thinking, well, God's got it, and, you know, I don't know what he's up to, and who am I? I'm not that special. You are. <laughs> You're part of God's sovereign plan before the creation of the universe. And he knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He lived as one of us. And so if you've been drifting because you've kind of just been thinking of him in this very distant terms, he's just sovereign. He's just, he's the clockmaker who wound up the universe and who am I? He loves you more than you can imagine. And he gave everything for you. And he wants you to know how much he loves you. So wherever you are today, walking in here, God's calling you home, either for the first time or because you've wandered off. And he's always, he's always calling us. He is always standing there outside the boat saying, come, come closer, come closer, come closer, come closer. I'm here to catch you. Let me pray that God will reveal to us uh, how our hearts need to change in this area. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for <clears throat> allowing my voice to endure uh, more than anything. Lord, I thank you for your word and the life of Jesus that taught us so much about your heart. And we confess, Father, that this idea of our free will versus your sovereignty, um, that we, we just, we let that get out of balance in so many ways. And we find ourselves thinking you're distant, you're just this powerful creator, distant God who isn't that interested in us. And so we miss out on that relationship, that closeness that you desire for us to have. Or on the other hand, Lord, we, we lose sight of your sovereignty and we just take the weight of the world on our shoulders. And we think our salvation being acceptable to you, any growth in our faith, it's just all on us. And you're just waiting to zap us if we get it wrong. And Lord, this is a crushing burden that we cannot bear. So would you free us from these burdens? And Lord, it isn't about us. We, you know, we're not asking you to just help us think perfectly about this, have a perfect calibration of free will versus sovereignty. That's not it, Lord. We want to know you. And we cannot think of you in these terms without your help, Holy Spirit. So would you change us from the inside out and help us to remember that you are sovereign and there's nothing that escapes you that you don't understand and that is not in your power. And yet also you invite us freely into this relationship.
Help us to step fully into your love and grace and experience it the way you want us to. Shape our hearts, shape our minds, and lead us toward the sound of your voice. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.